You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So I don't have too many of these left, and um, I know the hour is getting a little bit late, and I'll try to make it as brief as possible, but uh, I had some thoughts. <laughs> Shabbat shalom, everybody. We're going to continue with Moose House. Um, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. I had some thoughts I wanted to share. Um, So I have a confession to make, uh, which is that I find Parashat Korach possibly the hardest (laughs) Parsha in the entire Torah to talk about in a modern context. Uh, Harder even than the portions dealing with leprosy and skin diseases, harder than the sacrifices, because Korach is about a rebellion that is led, as we talked about before, by uh, Korach and Datan and Aviram, and the language that they use to instigate the rebellion can be interpreted in a lot of ways, but if you look at it pretty simply, it seems pretty justifiable. All the community, all of them are holy, and so why do you exalt yourselves, Moses and Aaron, over the Lord's congregation? It seems like a justifiable complaint. If everybody has equal capacity, everybody has uh, equal capacity for holiness, then what justifies Moses and Aaron's leadership? And even more perplexing about the uh, rebellion of Korach is that if you look at it, it doesn't even really look like a rebellion. It just looks like a question, right? The whole community, all of them are holy, so why do you elevate yourself, yourself, yourselves, excuse me, over God's people, over God's community? It's just a question. It's not a rebellion. And in our society, in in our modern world, where most of us are living in a context where we've done away with hereditary leadership, where we've done away with divine right of kings and of leaders, where we've done away with many of the features that define the political and spiritual leadership of the Jewish community in the wilderness, in my view, I can wholeheartedly identify with the motivations behind Korach's question. And even more so, when you look at the context for Korach's question. The situation in the wilderness was not good. There was perpetually a lack of water, perpetually a lack of food. Plagues kept on getting breaking out, wiping out thousands of people. And just before the scene of Korach's rebellion, you have last week's Torah portion, Shlach Lecha, where the spies go into the land of Israel, come back with a negative report, and because of their negative report, the people go into a panic, 
and a plague breaks out to kill the people who are going into a panic and God decrees that the generation that left Egypt will not reach the promised land. They are going to have to wander for 40 years in the wilderness and all of them are going to die out. Only their children will enter the promised land. This situation, from Korach's perspective, in Korach's context, was not good. There was brokenness in the Israelite community. And so you can imagine why someone like Korah would stand up and say, why are things the way they are? And you can imagine the frustration when the response that comes back from Moses is, because God said so. Because I told you so. Right? Because that's the way things always have been. That's the way things are. And what you have to know is that the Torah is not history. The Torah isn't a video camera watching the events as they unfold and directly reporting the facts. The Torah is a constructed narrative meant to argue a particular point of view. In this case, a text that was probably written by priests living in the 7th century one of the objectives of telling the story of Korach, the way the story is told in the Torah, is to justify the leadership of the priests embodied in Moses and Aaron. But if we just look at the facts of the story and take away the gloss of the narrator, the narrator who is trying to construct a narrative to, tell it, to, to prove a particular point about the story, and you just look at what happens and what Korach says and what Moses' response is, Korach's question then stands out and rings out. Why are things the way they are? There's brokenness here. Tell me why things are the way they are. And I want to suggest that this is something profound that we can learn from Korah. If we strip away the objective of the Torah's narrator and just honestly look at Korah's situation and Korah's question, there's much that we can learn from it. Because so much in our lives and so much in our world is about the status quo being as it is. And there's so much brokenness in our lives. There's so much that we're not doing the way we could or ought to be doing. So much of our potential that we're not living up to. And yet, we often don't ask ourselves the hard questions about why that is. What's leading us to act the way we, we act? What's leading me to not live the life that I could be leading? And when we do ask the questions, sometimes we get answers, but usually we get some version of, well, that's the way I've always been. That's the way things are. And when we ask that question about the institutions in which we are involved, in our communities, in our congregations, in our synagogues, in our businesses, when we say, why are things that aren't quite working right, why are they the way they are, often the response that comes back is, because that's just the way things are done. That's the way things have always been. And so Korach's question rings out, Madua, why? 
And the answer that Moses gives back is a deeply unsatisfying one. But the question is paramount, and the question is what we have to learn from. For our lives, for our communities, for our institutions, for our businesses, for our planet, to always ask why are things the way they are and to not take because they've always been that way as an answer. I was watching on Netflix uh, the other day um, a lost interview from Steve Jobs. How many of you have seen this? Okay, so if you have Netflix, go on Netflix after Shabbos, uh, because Shabbos is late, you might want to wait till tomorrow. Um, go on Netflix and look for Steve Jobs' The Lost Interview. It's an interview of Steve Jobs from 1995. This is um, before he was brought back to Apple. Okay? And there are, it's very rare to have a full-length interview of Steve Jobs. And so this is really a discovery that they found many years after the fact. It was sitting in a VHS in somebody's garage, and they didn't know it existed. But it is captivating and fascinating from start to finish. And the interviewer starts out by asking Steve Jobs how he founded Apple. And so he talks about tinkering with uh, telephone systems and computing and circuit breakers and things like that when he was in his early 20s uh, with his friend Steve Wozniak. And eventually by the time he's 24, uh, he has created the Apple II and then the Macintosh and turned Apple into a billion dollar company. And so the interviewer says to him, you were just a kid tinkering with computers. What did you know about running a business? And Steve Jobs thought about it for a second. He said, that's a question I've actually thought a lot about. And it turns out that many businesses and many business leaders have the same fatal flaw, which is that when things aren't operating at maximal capacity, when things aren't working quite the way they should, the default response is because that's the way we've always done things. That's the way things are done here. That's the way business is done. And so he gave an example of his product supply and the product supplies in most businesses. He said, you know, there are always kind of uh, tweaks and differences between what you expect you need and how much you're going to pay for it and then what it ends up being on the back end. And so businesses usually adjust on the back end what the costs were. And he asked, why is it that things work this way? And the response he got back from the Xerox people and other people that had been in the business world, um, when he asked that question of why things work this way, the response that he got back is because that's just how business is done. And so he pushed harder. He said, okay, but why is it? And then he got his answer because there are complexities and unknown factors in X, Y, and Z. And so he devised a system for getting to the cent correct how much the costs were going to be, projected costs were going to be, so you wouldn't have to adjust it on the back end, leading to a lot of, uh, of uh, um, uh, incongruities and inefficiencies. But he never would have been able to answer that question, to figure out how to fix it, to figure out what would have worked better and build Apple the way he built Apple if he had not asked Madua. Why? Why are things the way they are? 
and to not take it's always how they've been done as a satisfying answer. And then he concludes, it's not rocket science. It's not even computer science. Because the way to flourish in our lives, the way to build and strengthen and grow our communities, the way to prosper in business is to never stop rising as Korach does and going to the status quo that has its brokenness and its inefficiencies and saying, Madua, why? And with the power of that question, may we grow to be better people, to build better communities, to flourish in our business, and to repair the brokenness in our world. Shabbat Shalom.